We're going through the book of Luke. We're rolling on, continuing through our sermon series of the book of Luke. So we're going to continue on through the back half of chapter 6 as Jesus continues on through his uh, sermon on a level place. Verse 17 told us that Jesus is ministering to a great number of people. And then in verse 20, it says, Jesus lifted his eyes to his disciples and he began speaking what we call the sermon on a level place. And so during this sermon, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples um, about what the new kingdom of Jesus is like. And we get four keys to happiness in this new kingdom. Um, remember, we aren't just taking the old and trying to rejig it and refit it into something new. We're not putting uh, new wine and old wineskins. You know, we're, we're not just trying to make something work. Jesus is making something brand new. There's something totally new here being ushered in through Jesus. And he's speaking to his disciples in chapter six. He outlines four keys to happiness in this new kingdom. The first is faith in God. The second is loving others. The third is personal honesty. And the fourth is obedience to God. I believe I have a screen up there that'll come up if you forget everything I just said for the past 10 seconds. Um, And so last week, Matt took us through number one and two. Matt took us through uh, faith in God and loving others. And so having, as as a disciple in Jesus's new kingdom that he's ushering in, having faith in God and loving others is critically important. It isn't just something that you should do, but it, it defines you as a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, we're gonna finish chapter six and we're gonna look at the last two, which was personal honesty and obedience to God. And then we're gonna uh, dip our toe into chapter seven as Jesus shows compassion to two different people. And so before we get into the third key here to happiness in this new kingdom of Jesus, uh, will you guys stand with me? And we're gonna pray. Lord, we thank you uh, just for this morning. Thank you for the uh, just buzz in the air of of people getting baptized this morning, Lord. Uh, People responding to the call, the command as followers of Jesus to be baptized and just what an exciting day it is. And so we just thank you for that, Lord. Uh, Just bless your word this morning as we uh, go through the book of Luke and learn about your kingdom, the new kingdom that you're ushering in. In your name, amen. Amen. Grab a seat, good exercise. And turn with me, uh, chapter 6, verse 37, says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the law of sowing and reaping, what you sow is what you will reap, you know, sow good things and good things will come back to you, sow bad things and bad things will come back to you. Here Jesus says, judge not and you won't be judged, condemn not and you won't be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven and and give and it will be given to you. And in the same way you measure, so it will be measured back out to you and it will be a good measure. It says in verse 38, it'll be pressed down, overflowing. It's like when you're a kid and you got to go to, uh, around here in Gibson's where like, I always liken going to the recycle as like being a 
cow led to the slaughter as you're elbowing your, I just hate going to the recycle, but you go to the recycle, and you, but you got to compact all the, gar, all the cardboard down, so as a kid, you get to practice the people's elbow on the cardboard as you go from the top row and try and squish it all down. That's like the measure being given back to you from God, the way you measure it. It's not just like a little measure, whatever. It's like God's given it the people's elbow to squish it all in there and give you back the best that he can. Yeah. One of the most referenced things in the Bible, reference to people who don't know the Bible, is uh, judge. Only God can judge me, you know. Only God can judge me. Heard that once or twice around the world. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And yes, it's true. When it comes to eternal life, God is the final decider. But that isn't to say that we aren't to give a true assessment of those around us. But be aware that with the same measure you use, so it will be measured and used back to you. You know, one of my favorite principles I use personally, I'm going to let you into a little secret of my heart whenever I deal with people, because people are tough to deal with, (laughs) if you didn't know. One of the principles I always use is is this rule of thumb. It's called uh, Hanlon's Razor. And it says this, don't mistake malice with what can be easily explained with stupidity. (laughs) So often I love to assume the worst, right? I love to assume that, oh, that guy did that on purpose. That guy just cut me off. That person said that because they don't like me. Uh, Just the other day, I was actually, just the other day, like a couple days ago, I'm driving down back road uh, in Gibson's here, and there's a biker in front of me, and he's going kind of slow, and there's no one around. We're kind of in a back road, so I'm like, so I'm just going to go around him, as you do. You pull into the oncoming lane, and you just go around. I pull into the oncoming lane, uh, and then all of a sudden, there's kind of like a blind driveway, and a lady comes out, and she has to stop suddenly. And I see her, and all of a sudden, I slam on my brakes and pull back in behind the bike. And as I'm driving by, I'm kind of giving this sheepish wave, and man, not one, but the elusive double bird got thrown to me. <laughs> And just the anger in this lady's eyes. And I give a wave and I'm just like, you know, I didn't do it on purpose to be mean. I'm just, a, I'm just stupid. I'm just a dummy, right? Like, don't confuse malice with what can easily, easily be explained as stupidity. And that's a good lesson just for me whenever you deal with people that people can be like, why would that guy say that? It's like, they're just stupid. That's just people. People are just stupid. So don't confuse it with malice. And that'll affect how you measure out things, how you measure out forgiveness. You want, to be, you want happiness? You want to be a true disciple in this new kingdom that Jesus is ushering in? Be honest with your assessment of others, of how you judge, how you condemn, how you forgive, how you give. So will be that same measurement given back to you, but it will be given back fuller than you gave. Here's a truth for you, universal truth. You can never outgive God. You will never lose when you are generous with your judgments, with your condemnation, with your forgiveness, with your giving. You will never lose when you are generous. You know, we as humans, we're so worried about, and it's just natural humans, like you don't want to be the loser. It sucks to lose. As much as people say, oh, it's just about having fun. Like you don't like to lose. Losing sucks. And, and that's just a natural human thing. You don't want to look weak. You don't want to lose. 
But when you're free with those things, friends, you will never lose. Look at verse 39 as Jesus continues on with this idea of personal honesty. He says this, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So can a blind man lead a blind man, another blind man? No, of course not. Think of this in terms of discipleship. When it comes to discipleship, you want to find someone uh, better than you. You should be discipled by one who isn't blind in the same areas that you are. For the one being led will eventually be trained like his teacher, Jesus says here. Go, and he goes on in verse 41. He says this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Don't be walking around with a telephone pole sticking out of your eyeball, pointing out the speck in others. And, and you know, this would have been humorous to people of that day. We like to think of Jesus as kind of, kind of stuck up psychiatrists, you know, not able to laugh, but not my Jesus. My Jesus is funny. My, Jesus had a sense of humor. Like to these guys in this day, this would have been kind of funny to think about. They didn't have telephone poles back there like we, I would say today. So maybe Jesus is like, yeah, you got a wagon wheel stuck in your eyeball and you're trying to pull the dirt out of your buddy's eye there. Like it, it's kind of funny to these disciples as they're hearing it. And, uh, and, and but, but it's serious. Jesus says, you call that man, he's a hypocrite. Spurgeon said this, he said this, he said, Jesus is gentle, but he calls that man a hypocrite who fusses about small things in others and pays no attention to great matters at home in his own person. So friends, be honest with yourself. Helping people isn't a bad thing. In fact, Jesus said it's commanded that we're to help each other as iron sharpens iron. We're to be honest with each other, to point out flaws but be honest with yourself before you begin shotgun blasting critiques around you. You know, I wouldn't say this is a biblical truth. I won't stand up here and say what I'm about to say is biblically true. But just in my experience, uh, my own observations, I found it true that when I start to see recurring sin in others around me, when I start to see, whoa, that guy's doing that. That's not good. Whoa, that guy's... When I start to see common themes of sin around me, often that means it's time for me to take a step back and look at myself. You know, you buy a red car and all of a sudden you're, oh, wow, there's a lot of red cars around. Where do all these come from? These are brand new. Like, no. <laughs> it's just when you're engaging in that act, often you can see it in others first. It becomes all more apparent in others and often it can be missed in our own lives. We can see the speck in others' eyes before we see the log, the wagon wheel in our own. Jesus goes on and gives us a way to monitor and uh, gauge ourselves to be honest with ourselves. Verse 43, 43 to 45 says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. 
The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what kind of fruit do you produce? The fruit that is produced is always true to character. An apple tree only produces apples. A cherry tree only produces cherries. The fruit of a tree is the undeniable evidence of the type of tree it is. The good person produces good fruit. The evil produces evil. So how do you get an accurate gauge of if you're good or evil? Well, Jesus tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So do you say something and then go, oh, whoops, where'd that come from? I don't usually say that. Or it's like, uh, I think I know exactly where that came from, my friend. You have a heart problem. You know, for Jessica's birthday, uh, just back in April, I got her this four-tiered cedar planter box. I don't know. She wants to grow herbs and lettuce. And so I go out and there's a local guy on the coast who builds these cedar boxes and they are not cheap. But I thought, my wife is worth it because she wants to grow me herbs to eat. So I get it and set it up and, oh, great, that's awesome. And then it's like, oh, but we got to go get dirt. And you're like, what do you mean? I, there's like just dirt in the back 40. I'll chuck it in there. But no, 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 friends. It can't just be any old dirt. So we go to Canadian Tire and we buy some dirt and we're walking around the garden section. And if none of you guys are gardeners, you'll let me in on a secret. I'll let you in on a secret. There are a ton of different types of dirt out there. You got like all purpose dirt, you got topsoil dirt, you got potting mix dirt, you got black dirt, you got organic vegetable and herb dirt, you got seed starter dirt, you got organic moisture mix dirt, you got inside dirt, you got outside dirt. And on and on, and you're walking down the aisles, and there's a lot of different types of dirt. You just, I don't know, give me your dirt. Give me your finest bag of dirt, please. Like what? And then don't even get me started on picking the concoction of chemicals of food, plant food. Like you're, that's a whole nother ballgame. But, but here's the thing that I've come to realize. The source is a direct correlation to the fruit being produced. You think we would get any strawberries if I just got my way and went to the back 40 and just scooped up a bit with my hand of that dirt, that rocky dirt I could find? There's no way. I wouldn't get anything. And so in the same way that the fruit reveals the tree, the mouth reveals the heart, let me ask you this this morning. What is your source? Who is discipling you? Well, you might say, well, no one's discipling me. I'm, no one's discipling. Au contraire, my friends, you are being discipled. If you don't, even if you don't know it, be it books, friends, music, news, how you spend your free time, what your input is, is a direct correlation to your output. What type of dirt are you in? Is it the good quality stuff from the top shelf or is it the garbage from the back 40 that you just grabbed with your hands? Are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you fellowshipping with other believers? Are you sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit. Can you say it with me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So is the fruit of your attitude these things? 
or are they gossip? Or are they slander? Do you never talk about Jesus? Do you get mad easily? Do you let your emotions kind of control you? Do you have trouble forgiving? Uh, do you hold tightly onto your things? Because these are my things. Do you pass judgment without a second thought? And you go, that was malice, that right there, what that person said to me. And friends, that's a hard issue, is what Jesus is saying here. And there's only one that can fix that, and it's just a one-step program to Jesus Christ. So be honest with yourself. Personal honesty, a key to Jesus' kingdom. Let's look at the fourth major point that Jesus talks about here on the Sermon of the Level Place. It's Jesus communicating to his disciples, and he says, you want to be my disciple, you want to be happiness, you need to be obedient. Listen to this word from Jesus, verse 46 of chapter 6. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. So Lord, just stop right there before we get into um, what he's going to show us. Lord means someone having power or authority or a master or a ruler, and he's saying, you come to me and you say, Jesus, you're my master, yet you don't do what I tell you to do. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, you're not going to have a job for very long if you go to your boss and say, okay, boss, tell me what to do, and then at the end of the day, you, get, you don't do any of it. Jesus tells a parable of what those kinds of people are like. Verse 48, he goes on, he says, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do to them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So on the surface, these two appear the same. They both uh, put their mind to a task. They both actually completed the task. They both were you know, lounging around in their office, their leather-bound books and rich mahogany smell, wafting throughout the house. They both experienced trouble. But the one who heard the word of Jesus and did it had a firm foundation. The one who simply heard and did not do crumbled. Remember Luke chapter 5 a couple weeks ago? Uh, I spoke on Luke chapter five. We had the three keys to ministry and the first two were, yeah, that's what I thought. First two were at your word and do it, do it. The benefit of Jesus as Lord, as your master is stability. It isn't a promise of ease, but it is a promise that when storms come, you won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, trickery, deceitful scheming, and you can continue to grow up into Christ. So the question as we finish chapter six here for you is this, what is your source? Are you listening to the word of Jesus or are you listening to the word of the world? The fruit you produce will be a direct correlation to the input going in. And the other question for you is this, do you do it? You do it. It isn't simply enough to hear the word and not do anything. And, and the type of person who does that is like the foolish one who builds their house on the sand. You'll collapse and crumble if you simply show up to church here once a week and walk away going, ah, oh, that was great. Same time, same place, Jesus. See you next week. 
And so as I go through this and think and, and think back on, on chapter six, you know, you think, am I being honest with myself? Do I give freely? Am I using the proper measure on others as I want to be used on myself? What is my input? Am I hearing the word and am I doing the word? And so I, I try to do all these things, just talking about myself personally. I try to do all these things. And I think in general, you all do too. But let's be honest here with each other. We just can't ever do it all. We can never truly be perfect and accomplish it, which reminds me of the third key to ministry. Come on, save it. The third key to ministry from Luke chapter five is repent. We do have people that listen here. And this should make you come back to Jesus as you think about this stuff. This always comes back to Jesus time and time again saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus, for I'm a sinner and I need you. Help me, Jesus, and he will show you compassion. And take a look into chapter 7 as Jesus shows two acts of compassion here on on two different people. We're going to dip our toe into chapter 7 here this morning. Chapter 7, verse 1. After he'd finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Stop right there. So Jesus wraps up his sermon on the level place, and he walks into Capernaum, which is like Jesus' headquarters now. Um, kind of hometown Nazareth, but he's kind of moved to Capernaum, which we know on the Sea of Galilee. And so he's walking through Capernaum and uh, up comes a group of Jewish elders who are sent by a Gentile Roman centurion. And so we know that this centurion was well-liked and God-fearing man because while the, I mean, we just read that, the elders told us in verse four that he loves the nation. He built the synagogue probably not physically with his two hands, but he probably funded it, gave the money. But we can also read between the lines of what they say here. And we know this, that one, while this man was a Gentile centurion, meaning he would have been over about a hundred soldiers, Roman soldiers, the same Roman soldiers that Jewish people would have seen as occupying their land, uh, like the main source of oppression for the Jewish people, So just even straight up for the Jewish elders to come to Jesus for this man says a lot. And the other thing is that in those days, a servant really would have been seen as just a tool, property, tool to get things done. And if that tool isn't working, it's costing you money because he's sick, he's just laying around not doing anything. You have all legal right to just kill the servant and, and move on. But this centurion highly valued the servant and he heard Jesus was around. So uh, he sends a group of Jewish elders to go to Jesus as he's walking through the town and they say, you got to come, Jesus. This guy is worthy, which they obviously haven't been given the bridge illustration yet. That's another story. So Jesus goes with them. He goes with them and look what happens in verse six as he's going uh, towards the centurion's house. Verse six says this, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word 
and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Verse 10, and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So I like to imagine uh, just a lot of hubbub around Jesus. Like it's easy to forget, just we got to keep remembering when Jesus walk around, like things are amazing. Like people are jacked up, excited. This is like amazing. So there's people excited. They hear Jesus is going to go to this sixth centurion. Maybe there's people running ahead of the crowd and they go to the centurion. They say, hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. But before Jesus can get there, the centurion sends word back. He says, hey, listen, I'm not worthy. Like I, I know these Jewish elders, they say I'm worthy, but I am not worthy. I definitely am not worthy. And Jesus, I understand authority. I'm under others and I have others under me. When I tell one to do something, they do it. And I know that you have that kind of authority, Jesus. You have a special authority over sickness, over healing, and you can simply say the words and it will be done. And look at verse nine again in your Bibles. Look at verse nine. It says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Faith. So Jesus marveled. Two times in the Bible, we see Jesus marveling at faith. One is here in the book of Luke, as he marvels at the faith of the centurion. The other is in Mark chapter six. And we're gonna gonna go there this morning. I hope you have your Bibles with you. I forgot to tell you to grab a Bible. If you need a Bible, grab a Bible because this is not gonna come up on the screen. Go to the book of Mark, Mark chapter six, Matthew, Mark, New Testament, Mark chapter six. Um, Where am I going? Verse five. Look at Mark chapter six, verse five. This is the second place in the Bible, uh, the other place in the Bible where Jesus marvels at faith. Mark chapter six, verse five. The title of this section is Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Look at this, verse five. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Verse six, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So to the centurion, he marvels at the amount of faith, the amazing amount of faith he has. And to the people in Nazareth, he marvels at the amazing amount of faith they don't have. You know, there's a movement out there uh, called Word of Faith. If you guys know that movement, uh, came to popularity late 70s, early 80s kind of thing. I'm not going to go far into it because I don't really know much about it too. But I know it kind of boils down to this, this, this phrase, name it and claim it. Physical, emotional, financial, spiritual healing for those who have enough faith. If things aren't going the way they should, It's because you don't have enough faith. And and that's a dangerous concept, right? We can agree because it it takes the deity of God and it brings it down to our level. It, It gives us the concept that if you just try harder, 
If you have more faith, if you name it and you claim it, then you can make it happen. Rather than saying, God, you're Lord, you're the master at your will, you can make it happen. But Lord, I trust your will. And so in that though, it's easy to overcorrect the opposite way, right? It's easy to overcorrect the opposite way and go the other way and say, oh, faith just isn't important. Like it's not important. Whatever God wants to do is what'll happen. And I'm not gonna do anything about it. Nothing to do with me. And so it's a, it's a struggle of keeping that intention with each other, of keeping things in check, of remembering who's in charge, but also knowing that there's two things that Jesus marveled at, belief and unbelief. And in, in other areas of the Bible, there's a lot of talk about faith, actually. It's, it's crucially important, especially Paul. He talks about it a lot. We're gonna rattle off some of these uh, verses here talking about faith. Romans 1.8 says this, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Romans 3, 21 to 22 says this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe for there is no distinction. Sticking in Romans, Romans chapter five, Verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And Paul even talks about the encouragement he gets from other people's faith in Colossians verse two, uh, chapter two, verse five says this, for though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and I delight to see your orderly condition and firm faith in Christ. Or in Thessalonians, he says this, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter had somehow tempted you and caused our labor to be in vain. But now, just now, Timothy has returned from his visit with the good news about your faith, your love and the fond memories that you've preserved, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we have been reassured about you. Why? Because of your faith. Faith is crucially important, friends. Faith is the backbone of all areas in your life. How do we build up our faith? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith in Jesus is crucially important to your life in everything. So how do I increase my faith? Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Let me ask you a question and be honest. Remember, number three that we just learned about personal honesty. You don't need to answer out loud. But just be honest with yourself. How often do you read your Bible? One, once a day, two, or once a week, one day a week, two days a week, five days a week? I don't know. Maybe you can't remember the last time you've missed a day reading your Bible. And hey, right on. I salute you for that. Friends, if you aren't reading your Bible and it's too hard for you, um, and you think, oh, I just haven't found the right way. I'm going to tell you right now how to read your Bible. And if you aren't reading your Bible, 
you need to read your Bible. I'm going to tell you how to do it right now. This is practical advice for you this second. I'm not going to... I, I, re, I listened to one commentary that was like, oh, you just got to find your own way to read the Bible. No, I'm telling you how to read your Bible right now. If you're not reading your Bible, this is step one. Do this. Go to the app store on your phone. Download the Version Bible app. 500 billion downloads. If you don't have one of these newfangled, ooh, fancy technology phones, go to your computer. I'm sure you have a computer. Go to Bible.com. On both of those, you can click the little speaker button and a nice gentleman will read the Bible to you. Go to John, the book of John, chapter one. And you're just gonna read one chapter a day, every day. And as you click on the speaker and this nice gentleman reads the Bible to you, you're gonna have your Bible open with you beside you. And you go, Blake, I don't have a Bible. Don't worry, we got tons here. You can take home. Take two if you want. Don't be greedy because they do cost money. (laughs) But if you don't have a Bible, take one for work and one for home. And you're gonna sit down and you're gonna go in John chapter one, you're gonna click play and you're gonna read along with him. I wish I knew his name. Let's call him Jim. Jim's gonna read to you the book of John, chapter one. And he's gonna read it as you follow along. So you get auditory stimulation with your ears. You get visual as you're reading it. And this is what else you're gonna do. And this is key. And I promise you won't get smited from heaven if you do this. You're gonna take a pen. You can pick any pen. It can be a Bic. It can be a $100 pen or a highlighter. And as you read through John chapter one, one chapter every day, today will be John one, tomorrow will be John two. Very good, you guys got it. John chapter two, John chapter one. You're gonna read one chapter a day. You're gonna underline something that sticks out to you. I know you're gonna mark up your Bible, don't worry. It took me a long time to come to the ability to do that, but it's good. You're gonna mark your Bible up. One thing that you like that day, you got to pick a time, I like in the morning, and you're going to sit down and you're going to read your Bible. You're going to have Jim listen, read it to you as you're listening. You're going to follow along. You're going to underline one thing. And when you're done that, you're going to take 30 seconds and you're going to pray about that one thing you read about that you underline and you go, thank you, Jesus, for your word. And that's it. That's all you got to do. If you aren't reading your Bible, you need to read your Bible and you need to do it like I told you because your excuse is, well, I'm going to find the best way to do it. Uh, this is the best way to do it. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. And then if you don't like that way, as you read your Bible, you can drop Jim or you can add Mary because there's probably a girl that speaks to you too if you want. You can pick whatever you want. But if you aren't reading your Bible, start by doing that every day, one chapter a day. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you can't do that and take 15 minutes a day to read your Bible and feed yourself the literal word of God, then what are we doing here? What, like what, why come to church every week? And I mean, it's good. I want you to keep coming to church, but read your Bible, feed yourself. Take 15 minutes. I'm sure you can find 15 minutes. I know you guys like watching your YouTube videos and your TikToks, but we can take 15 minutes a day and read our Bibles. Let me ask you this question. Are you growing in Christ? Is your faith growing at all? Do you feel like you're just stagnant? Like you're just coming to church every week, doing the same thing. I'll see you next week, Jesus. 
clock in, clock out. We don't have a time clock here. So there's no clock in, clock out here. It's, it's 24-7. You keep going. Read your Bible, if that wasn't clear enough. Let's go verse 11. Jesus shows one more act of compassion. Oh, let me, before we go to verse 11. If you need help reading your Bible, you come talk to me. You come talk to Matt. But if you do that, you need to know that we're going to be pests. And if you'd say, hey, Blake, like, where should I read my Bible? We're going to start texting you or calling you or to remind you, hey, did you read your Bible today? And you just have to have one thing that you liked from that day. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 11. We're almost done here. One more act of compassion. Uh, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who has died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the, oh, I did not pre-read this, buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So two crowds meet each other, uh, one going out of the city, one going in. Uh, one in sorrow, one probably rejoicing, because remember, being around Jesus was awesome, and there was always a lot of exciting things going on. And so there's a couple key things mentioned there um, that's easy to pass over. The first is that this, this woman's a widow, her husband's already dead. And then the second thing is she, now she had her only son die. And so in that time, this would have been like, like brutal for her, devastating for this woman. She, she would have Uh, lost her husband, lost her only son. This would have been her whole life basically crumbling beneath her. Any any chance at making a good income or or any sort of flourishing life would have been gone with her husband and son dying. And to this, it says Jesus had compassion. Jesus looks at the son, he says, arise. And in just an absolute supernatural show of authority over death, the young man arises and God is glorified. So as the band comes up, Uh, as the worship team comes up to lead us in one more song, who we just talked about. Who's our master? The one with compassion for the widow and the one with authority over death. Jesus is the one whose yoke is easy and burden is light. Jesus is the head of the church and the one that we should be modeling our lives after in this new kingdom. In this new kingdom that Jesus has ushered in, we're called to be disciples that have faith, disciples that love others, disciples that are honest about ourselves, and disciples that are obedient to God.